Thank you for downloading the Plod podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. In our podcast series, we are going to discuss a range of topics affecting police officers and anyone involved in the criminal justice system. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com. I'm Deborah Britstone and here with me is Aaron Rathmel, a barrister from Sergeants in Chambers. Following recent case law, there are going to be some concerns for senior officers about the liability of the police for failures in criminal investigations. In February 2018, the Supreme Court considered the case brought by two women who were victims of the serial sex offender John Warboys. Aaron, could you tell us the position that the Met took in this case, please? The Met's position in the case was firstly to acknowledge that Article 3 does impose some duties and Article 3 of the European on, uh, Convention on Human Rights, which is scheduled to the Human Rights Act, states that no one shall be subject to torture or to inhumane or degrading treatment or punishment. And on one view, that says nothing about people being able to bring claims against police forces who didn't commit the inhumane or degrading treatment. But on another approach, why can't claims be brought against police forces, given that they're the ones who are supposed to protect people against such treatment? So the Met's position was to acknowledge that Article 3, just like other articles, such as Article 2, that the right to life um, does impose some positive duties, some protective duties and some investigative duties. But the Met's experienced counsel argued that they were systemic in nature. There had to be good systems. Police had to be proactive in preventing inhumane and degrading treatment but uh, people can't bring claims in individual cases against the Met for, for instance, failing to um, investigate individual crimes that might amount to inhumane and degrading treatment. As I understand it, the appeal by the Met was dismissed by the Court of Appeal and then obviously a further appeal was made to the Supreme Court. The Secretary of State intervened and made written and oral submissions and there were a number of other parties um, who intervened, including Liberty and many other organisations. So what was the response taken on behalf of of the victims in terms of their arguments before the Supreme Court? Well, this is a case where the Supreme Court judgment is very important, but the Supreme Court ultimately upheld the original decision by Mr Justice Green in the High Court. So this is a case where it's useful to go back to the first judgment. Um, The victims issued claims seeking damages under the Human Rights Act for breach of Article 3 basically on the basis that police hadn't conducted proper investigations into their very serious allegations of rape. The judge at first instance allowed the claims, firstly because we were talking about very serious crimes, secondly because there were multiple systemic failures in the police investigations which met the test for liability under Article 3, but there were also individual omissions. And we might make a a distinction between systemic failures, such as failure to train and supervise officers, failure to have checks and balances in investigation policies, and individual failings, such as not following up a particular lead, which obviously should have been followed up, for instance, obtaining CCTV evidence. So originally, the victims argued 
inadequate investigation, not thorough enough, not quick enough, not taking up clear investigatory leads. And ultimately, their views were upheld in the Court of Appeal and in the Supreme Court. So will this um, potential for liability result, in your opinion, in the police carrying out investigations more effectively and efficiently? Well, that's the big question. Indeed. (laughs) Um, Firstly, we have to assume that they've got the resources to do it, which is a controversial topic, not really for lawyers, but for for politicians. Um, From a legal perspective, the, the DSD case is particularly interesting because the reason why in England and Wales the courts were reluctant to impose duties or or impose liability on police for investigation failings was because it was thought as a public policy matter that would lead to defensive investigations or tick box investigations. And it would simply be too much responsibility on the police who should be left to get on with the job as they see fit. So that was the old public policy for not imposing duties on the police. Lord Kerr in the high, in the Supreme Court, rather, in the DSD case, turned that public policy justification on its head and said, actually, if you impose liability in appropriately serious cases, Article 3, inhumane and degrading treatment, so we're talking about serious crimes such as rape, um, and you um, set a sort of threshold of serious investigatory failings, then actually that's going to lead to more efficient and more accountable policing. So the public policy sort of protecting police was turned on its head and it was thought best to really give a remedy to victims and that there was no evidence that that would damage policing. If anything, it would lift standards because the police would be putting in place systems and training to avoid these sorts of claims. Practically, then, if a force is found liable for deficiencies in a criminal investigation, do you think that would automatically mean that officers involved in that investigation will be under scrutiny by the IOPC or their own PSD? If there's really serious operational failings in investigations into serious crimes, um, then why not? But the question is, um, what form that scrutiny by the IOPC or by the appropriate authority, if we're talking about Um, individual police forces should take. And there's always been a distinction in police sort of disciplinary law under the umbrella of disciplinary law between performance issues and misconduct issues. A lot of investigatory failings really should be falling under performance issues. Why didn't they do something that their training or force policies and procedures told them that they should do? How can they do it better? It's rare for an omission in an investigation to lead to conduct issues. It would have to be really serious, culpable omissions to say, right, this officer not just needs to be told how to do something better, but needs to be disciplined, needs Mm -hmm. to be sanctioned in a a misconduct meeting or hearing. So, So there's always, when you have a serious failing in a police context, you've got claims in the courts, Um, Human rights claims frequently lead to damages. They don't always lead to damages, but they frequently do. And then there's really the aftermath. How can we make sure this doesn't happen? Again, that might be performance proceedings. It might be misconduct proceedings. So we'll come on to how the courts responded to the um, errors in the investigation in due course. But can you give us an idea of what the errors were in the Warboys investigation? 
as you can imagine, in a case which involved really horrible, prolific offending over about five years, there were opportunities to find Warboys, arrest him and put an end to his offending that were missed. Some examples, um, in general terms, there was a witness who would have been able to assist to identify Warboys. That witness was known and not spoken to. There was CCTV that could have assisted with, for instance, the licence plates of the taxi not obtained. Investigation timelines could have been drawn up, which would have helped police put their um, investigatory steps in logical order. That wasn't um, done. There wasn't enough cross-referencing to similar reported crimes using similar modus operandi so that police could get a picture of whether this offending was being reported to them was a one-off or whether it was part of a, a wider picture. Those kinds of basic steps, failure to review investigations properly when closing them, having not been able to find the perpetrator is, is, is another example of a basic um, investigatory step that should be done that in some aspects of this case wasn't. What would you say are the, the key learning points for investigators from this case? Well, firstly, I'm a, I'm a lawyer and, and not an investigator, and I, I respect the work that investigators do, and, and, and I find it a little difficult to tell them how to do it better. As a lawyer, I know there's going to be more interesting cases, cases similar to DSD and cases seeking to extend or test the principles um, that were uh, set down in the, by the DSD judgment. But for investigators, if I can um, hazard some uh, suggestions, firstly, when you're talking about serious offences against the person, obviously they require top-notch, thorough investigations because serious offences against the person such as rape, are going to engage Article 3 and bring you within um, the realm of the the principles in the DSD case. Serious offences require serious investigations. Two, easy to say, get the basics right. Search for the best evidence. Do it in a timely and efficient fashion. So you're looking for CCTV, you're cross-referencing to other similar cases, Um, Because um, we're human and there are errors and omissions, you build in safety nets to your investigations, such as reviews and closing reports. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's good guidance out there. There's good training out there. The College of Policing has lots of investigatory resources. Your own force has senior officers, training opportunities and so on. Investigators do important work. They need to refine refresh and update their skills. So getting the basics right doesn't require officers to reinvent the wheel. Thank you very much. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you for downloading the Plod podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com.